Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Today, I want to invite my friend Jason up uh, to read our sermon text before we dive into it. Come on up, Jason. Put your hands together for Jason. All right, I am reading 2 Corinthians 3, 17 for 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate. Thank you. Put your hands together for Jason. Awesome. Love getting the kids involved. Well, to begin, let me tell you a tale of two funerals. A week ago, I had the privilege, or maybe two weeks, I forget now, uh, of doing Creed Hutt's funeral. Most of you knew her and loved her dearly. For those of you who are new with us, Credo was one of the spiritual grandmothers of our, our church family, and she died at 95 years old, uh, just before the holidays. And I just can't express what an honor it was to be a part of celebrating her life and doing her funeral. She was uh, one of my Sunday school teachers when I was a child here. She taught my uh, baptism discipleship preparation class. I forget what we called that back in the day. And I remember her introducing herself as Mrs. Pizza Hut, uh, which always made me giggle and a little bit hungry when I was a kid. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was a, it just, God worked it out. It was a gift to be able to visit her my, my first week on the job here, the seventh floor of Worthington Christian Village. And we sat down and she looked at me a little squinty-eyed and said, I have some questions for you, Pastor Josh. And she like pretended like she had a clipboard and a pen. She's like, we'll see how many check marks you get. And she asked me, so are we going to be singing those old timey hymns again? And I said, well, I hope so, because I like the hymns. And she said, Check. That's actually all the questions I have for you. <laughs> and then she said, well, I guess I'll tell you my story, which is a treat. I love hearing people's story. I, I err on the side of uh, interrogating people because I, I love their stories. And Krita, at 95 years old, was sharp as a tack, very articulately shared her life with me. And it was surprising to learn that someone so joyful and sweet had experienced suffering, tragedy early on in life, losing her father when she was a child. And uh, a mentor of mine always says that suffering will either make you bitter or better. And, and I think Krita's life is a beautiful uh, display of how God... Uh, redeemed Krita's suffering and helped her grow into a delightful person. In the week or so leading up to the funeral, I tried to uh, solicit as many stories or anecdotes or thoughts about Krita uh, from different people, and the responses were so, so precious. Person after person just testifying to how they felt loved by Krita, served by her, blessed by the joy that just radiated from her being. My favorite story was one that her daughter Joy told from a time when Krita was in her 80s and they went to the Bahamas and decided to rent a scooter, just the two of them, and Krita, in her 80s, hopped on the back of this scooter, and Joy, her daughter, and Krita were just cracking up at just the, 
the funniness of the moment. And the people at the scooter rental place who were, you know, Bahama Islanders were like, uh, it's serious, it's serious, while they're laughing and they just take off. And four hours later, it seemed like all the rental, scooter rental people were relieved <laughs> and cheered as they, they drove into the parking lot. Um, but talk about life goals. I hope I'm hopping on the back of scooters in my 80s in the Bahamas when, when I grow up. But it was just beautiful. All of her kids spoke well of her. Her two sons stood up and and blessed their mother, the memory of their mother. Uh, At at the end of the funeral, we stood up and belted out amazing grace, just joyfully worshiping the God who had formed Krita, blessed us with her presence. And it was just beautiful. One of the most joyful funerals I've been a part of. Contrast that with the funeral of my grandfather, my mother's father, He cheated on my grandma and abandoned her and her three kids. He remarried and just kind of wandered around out west for the rest of his life. And he asked that I do his funeral. So when he passed, I drove down to meet my mom and her siblings at the, and his his second wife at the funeral home uh, to talk about the funeral service. And you know, my, my grandpa deeply hurt his kids, even before he, you know, he left them. Uh, he, he was critical and mean and had an explosive temper. And so there I was sitting in those floral print couches that are in, seem to be in every funeral home with my mom, my aunt, uncle, and my step-grandma just trying to talk about what this funeral is going to be like. What, what good memories do you have of grandpa? My opening question. And guys, the question, uh, the, the silence that followed that question will haunt me probably the rest of my life. To have your children and wife sit silently as they rack their brains for something positive to say was so sad to me. So I tried to ask some other questions. What did you learn from him? What was he good at? When did you feel most loved by him? It was just a tough conversation. All we could come up with was the fact that he had stayed faithful to his second wife for over 30 years and had built up a dairy herd from one cow named Bessie. It was a hard funeral to preach. No one wanted to be there. Only one or two other people besides family members came, immediate family came, and afterwards we went and ate pizza with a palpable sense of relief. So the question for us this morning, what kind of funeral do you want to become? Or what kind of funeral do you want to have? As we enter this new year, maybe you're in a place to consider how you're living your life, what kind of goals or habits you want to consider uh, as you enter this new, new time, this new season. And so the question, what kind of funeral do you want to have? Or to say it another way for the sake of our discussion this morning, what kind of person are you becoming? If you're looking to fill in the blanks, those are kind of the two questions. What kind of person are you becoming? For a while now, I've made it a practice of starting, my, starting the year, the first sermon I preach each year with this question, because I think it's a question that pierces through so much fluff and distraction. You know, like we start off our new year with goals. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to get in better shape. And like all those are great, admirable goals, but like it just doesn't matter if we walk every day or read the Bible every day if we're, not be, if we're not becoming the kind of people that we want? What good is it if we're getting you know, richer, or, but we're more distracted and anxious? What good is it if we're doing lots of church activities, but just becoming stressed and anxious and a, and a little grumpy? 
And the question behind uh, this question, what kind of person are you becoming, is the question behind the topic uh, of spiritual formation, which is kind of what we're going to address this Sunday. Spiritual formation is probably my primary passion in ministry as a pastor. How is your spirit, the sum total of who you are as a person, being formed? And just as a point of reference, spiritual formation and discipleship are pretty much the same thing. I love the history legacy of discipleship here at Carl Road. Uh, they, but, and they kind of show us different angles of the same question, but that's kind of for another sermon. Uh, but it, but, it, but it's, it's that idea of who am I becoming? And so the plan for this morning is to define spiritual formation, hear an invitation from Jesus to spiritual formation, and then do an overview of a theory of transformation that... I think can be a clear plan for spiritual formation for, for any of us who, who want to uh, pursue it. So let's unpack our terms. The broad definition of spiritual formation is the process by which the human spirit is given a definite form or character. It's a definition from Dallas Willard. The process by which the human spirit is given a definite form or character. Now, it's a broad definition of spiritual formation, and it's very important to understand that spiritual formation is not just a church thing. It's not just a Christian thing. All of us right now are having our spirits formed, are experiencing spiritual formation. We can't not be formed. Just like my grandpa, his spirit was given a definite form and character throughout his life, even though he did nothing religious or spiritual and rejected anything that had to do with God. C.S. Lewis says it like this, each time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before and taking your life as a whole, all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning the central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God, with its fellow creatures, and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impetus, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. To say it another way, choices become our habits, habits become our character, and character becomes your destiny. Christian spiritual formation then is a distinct form of spiritual formation, if you will, and it is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. So if regular spiritual formation is the process of where just your, your, your spirit is given a definite form or character, Christian spiritual formation is being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others, which is from Robert Muholland in his book, An Invitation to a Journey. Paul says it succinctly in the passage that Jason read for us. Let me read it again, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." This, capture, this passage captures the transformation that's happening to us by the power of the Spirit as it's a process from one degree of glory to the next, and it flows from freedom. I wanna do a little work on the word freedom uh, because in our day and age, I think there's a huge gap between what we commonly understand freedom and what the Bible would define as freedom. Because I think in our culture, freedom generally means the ability to do whatever I want whenever I feel like it. The, the ability to, to, to live without limits, that's freedom, to not have no limits. But in scripture, we see a biblical definition of freedom is, means the ability to choose the good. Biblical definition of freedom is the ability to choose the good. When scripture uses the language of slavery and freedom, it's often talking about this idea of being a slave to sin, where before God saves us, before he makes us new, gives us a new heart, that we, we are stuck in the place where we can only choose evil. The Bible's language is like unequivocal on this point. It's like we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We're slave to sin. We're darkened in our understanding. Our thoughts are futile. And guys, this is one of the beautiful gifts of the gospel. The work of God in our lives when he saves us is that we are given a new heart, a renewed mind, where as Paul says in Romans 7, in our inner being, we now desire God. We have categories for something other than sin, something other than evil. We're now free in Christ to choose the good. This is the important theological context for this discussion of spiritual formation. The first, as we talked about, spiritual formation is happening to all of us right now, whether we know it or not, whether we're intentionally engaged in how we're being formed spiritually or we're just kind of riding the wave of life and seeing what happens. We are, it's not something we can opt out of. And then second, for Christian spiritual formation, we're describing the process of a person who has been saved by grace through faith, justified before God, regenerated, given a new heart that can now desire and choose God, can choose, as our passage says, to behold the glory of the Lord. Now, this definition of spiritual formation has four parts. Let me just give you a word on each. First, it's all intentional. It starts with the process. A spiritual formation is a process. The time horizon for spiritual formation is decades, years. Like we're talking a long haul. Don't, I would be suspicious of anyone who's like eight weeks to be formed into the image of Christ. Like we're, we're talking about a lifetime of discipleship to Jesus, a lifetime of following Jesus, uh, which is a gracious thing. Like when we, when we consider the state of our character, we can, we can think in decades. Like am I in a different place now than I was 10 years ago? Like I might not be in a super different place than I was a month ago, but we can see God's progress over the years. The second part is it's a process of being formed. Just to get a little grammatical on you this morning, that is a passive verb. We are being formed. We aren't forming ourselves. We don't do it. It is a work of God 
in our lives. It comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, as our passage says. And we're being formed into the image of Christ. That's very specific. It's not just general niceness or general abstract love or whatever culture might define as love in the certain time in history, but of the objective love and kindness and courage seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And then it's for the sake of others. One of the dangers in the spiritual formation world is that we can kind of turn inward or navel gazing, but the whole point of becoming formed into the image of Jesus is that we, we, we can show others his love. We become like little Jesuses as we go throughout our lives and our days and we can love others and serve. Jesus came uh, to, to serve, not as one, <coughs> as one to serve, not as one to be served, but one who serves. And as we become more like him, we joyfully uh, give our life away like him. So the choice before all of us is whether or not we will use our freedom and the new life and the spirit that we have by grace through faith to act and choose and set up our lives so that our character is formed into what we want. Brings us to our second point. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Matthew 11. This is an invitation, or read this passage as an invitation to, from Jesus to spiritual formation. And I think this frames the way we think about this work of spiritual formation. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As we talk about spiritual formation, the cry of my heart is that we would, we'd hear it through the lens of this invitation from Jesus. We're talking about rest for our souls. We're talking about resting our souls in the God who made them and the only one who is the only one who can satisfy them. We got to ask the question though, is, is our experience and in, in the life of the church and of following Jesus, is this accurate? You know, are church people known for their, their, their uh, being people of rest and peace and a non-anxious presence. And one of the things that breaks my heart sometimes when you talk about spiritual formation or a vision, you know, dreaming in, in the power of God of what, what we might be like in 20 or 30 years as God makes us more like Jesus, is that instead of seeing that as a hope, as something uh, to treasure and a promise from God to bank in, instead we hear it as a crushing burden or overwhelming I had a friend say to me once, I'm just trying not to lose my job. I don't have time to think about spiritual formation and all that stuff, which I get it. I mean, you, 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 life, work, job, kids, marriage, you just can be enough to keep our nose ab above water. But hear me, I get excited about spiritual formation because according to Jesus, it's through participation, actively engaging in this process of yoking ourselves to Jesus that we get, that we get real ways to rest. We get joy, which should beg the question, what is his easy and light yoke? Like, what does he mean by this? If you think about it, it's, it's a little counterintuitive. A yoke is a farming tool that would have been used to hook two oxen together and have them pull a plow. It's, it's a working implement. It's a working tool. 
So why would Jesus give a working tool, an implement to people who labor and who are heavy laden? Why wouldn't he say, you know, take my pillow and go take a nap? He says, take my yoke, take it upon your shoulders. And he says, learn from me. And in learning from Jesus, we find rest for our souls. The common practice in the agrarian culture of the time Matthew wrote this was to take a, <clears throat> a yoke, uh, yoke a younger, smaller ox to an older, stronger ox. And the young ox would be trained in ox stuff, like how to be an ox, how to pull a plow and work a field. And that's the image that Jesus is getting at here. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me how to live, how to work. Do it my way. I am strong. I will do most of the work, but work with me and grow. It's a sweet, gracious posture of our King and Savior, guys. Like this, our King does not just give us a standard and then withstand aloof, hoping that we figure it out. He says, bind yourself to me practically. Live life with me. Learn from me directly. And that brings us to the secret of the easy yoke, which is this. You cannot have the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. You cannot have the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want the character of Jesus, if you want to be the kind of person of love, joy, courage, self-sacrifice, boldness, and contentment that Jesus displayed while he was on the earth, we must yoke ourselves to him, to his teaching, his way of life, and learn to become like him. So Tom Brady is a very good football player. He's playing the Falcons today. But imagine that Tom Brady couldn't play. And so the, the coach of the Buccaneers, Todd Bowles, calls me and is like, Josh, as soon as you're done preaching, hop on a plane. We need you to fill in for Tom. And so I go, as, you know, I take off my blazer, and uh, as someone who hasn't, you know, played organized football since the third grade, and just having, you know, feasted all the holiday yummy junk food for the holidays, I put on Brady's pads and his jersey, and I trot out onto the field and to take a snap, and I try really hard with everything in me to be Tom Brady in the big game. What's going to happen? I'm going to die. Yeah. Thumbs, thumbs down from Beth Ash. That was hilarious. Yeah, it's not going to go well. That was so funny. It would be a disaster. I can't have the life of Tom Brady without the lifestyle of Tom Brady. If you know anything about Tom Brady, the guy trains and practices and studies football like a maniac. I actually looked into the, the details of this. His entire life orients around football, winning football games. So he's a personal chef that makes these super specific healthy meals. He doesn't drink coffee, alcohol, pop. He doesn't eat sugar, bread, or nightshades. Apparently tomatoes don't help you win Super Bowls. I, don't, I didn't know that. He's in bed every at night at 9 p.m., getting tons of sleep. His workouts are daily and perfectly crafted to maintain strength and maximize flexibility and range of motion. He spends hours and hours studying film and plays and fine-tuning his throwing form and all of that stuff. I can't be like Tom Brady, just trying to be like Tom Brady in the big game at the moment of testing and trial. Tom Brady is Tom Brady because of a very specific lifestyle. 
But friends, I think a lot of us, myself included, tried to follow Jesus, try to do what Jesus did in the moment of trial and testing without, without taking on his lifestyle. Dallas Willard summarizes it like this. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail and to make the way of Christ difficult and left untried. In truth, this is not the way of Christ any more than striving to act in a certain manner in the heat of the game is the way of a champion athlete. We can't have the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. And so the question is, will we use the freedom available to us by the spirit we have in the gospel, freedom from slavery to sin, to choose to follow Jesus, to, to present our members as instruments of righteousness instead of in, instruments as un, of unrighteousness, as Romans would say? Will we, will we choose to set up our lives to be like Jesus with even half as much intentionality as Tom Brady sets up his life to win football games? But you might say, what about grace? I thought we're saved by grace. Why are we talking about doing all this stuff? Well, there's a key concept that I found so helpful when we're talking about discipleship or spiritual formation, and it's this. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Grace is opposed, we believe in grace, which means we believe that there's nothing we can do to earn God's love and favor. That God's, God's love and favor towards us in Jesus is a gift by grace. Our right standing, our justification before God is something that we receive by grace, not by works, so no one can boast. But grace is not opposed to earning, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. It's not like we're legalists as soon as we start exerting effort and energy to pursue the things we we, we say we want the most. You know, I think of the, the parable of the guy buying the field in Matthew 13. He finds a treasure and with joy, he goes and sells everything that he has. Is he, is he a legalist? Is he, is he trying to earn this treasure? No, he, he's doing it out of joy. And then if I could just testify for a minute, nothing has made grace sweeter to me personally as just like as me as a Jesus follower than exerting effort to become like Jesus. Nothing has made grace more sweet than joining God in the process of being formed into the image of Christ. So like one of the, the, the things I do in my rhythms of life is a day of silence and solitude, which is where for eight hours, I try to just be still before God. And in that stillness before God, all the crazy, all the guilt, all the shame, all the things that I keep repressed with busyness and distraction bubbles up. And then the cross is my desperate hope. The, the degree to which I can sit before God's loving gaze towards me in Christ really becomes clear. No one swaggers out of silence and solitude, just being alone with ourselves, our thoughts, our impulses, our compulsions, and then contemplate that God in Christ is looking on us in love. Now, the cry of my heart this morning is that we'd hear this as good news, 
Christian, if you feel stuck in besetting sin, you're just so discouraged by things in your life that year after year you can't seem to get a handle on, you don't have to stay there. Feeling bad about yourself, hoping for some kind of sanctification lightning bolt to just zap you. Instead of trying harder, we can train harder. Instead of trying to figure it out ourselves, we can yoke ourselves to Jesus and learn from him. We can exert effort, little efforts over time. And what I think you will see is that the Holy Spirit blesses our little efforts to show up to him and to God's work in the, in the way that Jesus blessed the, the boy with the fish and the loaves and fed thousands of people. We show up with our little meager offerings of our time, our attention, and we see what God will do with it. And this leaves us with the question, how? Uh, how what does this process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others look like? How do we practically take on Jesus's yoke and learn from him? Well, I have a theory of transformation for you to consider that's meant to map out the components of how our spirits are formed. And we could spend an entire sermon series unpacking all the different biblical uh, bits uh, of this theories. So this will just be a very brief overview, hopefully to whet your appetite. And if this seems like a lot or overwhelming, remember the time horizon is decades, is years. It's like looking at a map and you're like, how, you know, the, the Columbus Zoo, how will I get to everything today? Well, you have a membership. You can go back over and over and over again. We can explore it over time. So this theory was developed mostly by Bridgetown Church in Portland and was tweaked by me and my friends at my last church at Redemption City. It's this in a, in a sentence. God makes us like Jesus through the Holy Spirit empowering teaching, practices, and community in the context of the work, joy, and suffering of our lives. God makes us like Jesus through the Holy Spirit, empowering teaching, practices, and community in the context of the work, joy, and suffering of our lives. And then I think I put it and made it into the mega bulletin. There's kind of like a map or a graphic that shows how they all interact and relate to one another. All these different components interact and relate to one another. Starting in the middle of the triangle, we see the Holy Spirit. Apart from God's work in our daily lives through the Spirit, there's no transformation. In the New Living Translation of uh, our sermon text, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18, it says, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him. The Holy Spirit is kind of the on-the-ground person of the Trinity who is doing the work. And, but Scripture is very clear that we don't just sit around and binge Netflix and dabble in porn and you know, watch Fox News every morning before we read Scripture or whatever your news channel of, of choice is. Keep our church family at a distance so they never have to see the real us or whatever. And in hope that I get transformed into the image. That out of nowhere that the Holy Spirit would zap us into Christ-likeness, which brings us in, into another key concept of spiritual formation, which is this. Without God, we can't. But without us, God won't. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you. It's just like two parts of the scissors. 
So God does all the heavy lifting. We can't do anything apart from Holy Spirit's work in our life. But scripture makes it clear that we have a role to play in our sanctification. We have a role to play in this process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others, which is where teaching, practices, and community come into play. Those, those three things on the outside of the triangle are the parts where we can practically engage. We can make our choices uh, to, to follow Jesus. Teaching refers foundationally to scripture, which is the authority for all life and reality, what Jesus said and did and the, the breadth of the canon. And also to Bible study, just any way we're getting the truth of God and his word into our hearts and minds. Listening to podcasts, taking seminary classes, reading books about scripture, Christian living, anything that gets the truth of who God is, what he's done in Jesus and who we are in light of the gospel, it deeper into our minds. It becomes the story that we live. Practices, or you could call them spiritual disciplines, are basically anything you see Jesus doing in the gospels, anything you see in the life of Jesus. So it includes fasting, prayer, gathering with God's people on the Lord's day, silence and solitude, practicing a Sabbath, living simply, serving people, being hospitable. There's not like a set definite list of spiritual disciplines. You gotta hit them all. Instead, we can read the gospels and see real practical, the real practical lifestyle of Jesus and we can follow him. We can yoke ourselves to him and give that stuff a try. The Holy Spirit uses those things to make us like him. And community is where we're, we're known in a church family. We're, we know others deeply and we are deeply known within a church family where you have people who see you, the good, the bad, the ugly, people who love you, affirm your gifts, also challenge you and your weaknesses, people you confess your sin to, and people who will tell you about your blind spots. So one thing I learned, this is really hard, I learned in seminary, you can't see your blind spots. <laughs> Just kidding. But there, we all have blind spots, things that we can't see and, we, and they will wreak havoc in our lives. And one of the gifts of being a Jesus follower is that we're not following him alone. Others can point that out to us. So teaching, practice, and community are the things that we can do to make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit's work. I think that's a blank in the mega bulletin. Teaching, practice, and, practice, and community are things that we can do to make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The great, helpful analogy is, is a sailboat. The sailboat goes nowhere unless the wind blows. And if you were trying to sail, what can you do to make the wind blow? Nothing. But you can get the boat in the water, make sure it's not leaking, make sure it's not overloaded, make sure the sails are up, so that you're ready in humility whenever the wind blows to get to your destination. That's what teaching practices and community are, ways that we make ourselves available for the spirit to blow in our lives. And as a plug, this is the exact model for our region program. It's a 12-step discipleship program we have here. There's teaching involved. It's an intense community where you're known fully by others. And there's 12 steps. There's like concrete practices available for you to work through to bring you deeper into the life of God. Now, what I found in my time in ministry, why, why I'm so compelled by this idea of a map 
is that often churches tend to major on just one or two of those three things, teaching practices or community, or Holy Spirit. People just major on, in the Holy Spirit, and you miss other things. And when you do that, it's like only you know, doing curls on your right arm, and your left arm's all weak and dangly. You have churches that minimize theology and teaching are just about getting stuff done for God, outreach and evangelism. They don't have time for all the heady, touchy-feely stuff, and that will warp the development. Often people most pumped about service and outreach can, can be uptight and stressed and, and a little bit grumpy from not, not serving Jesus from rest. Are there churches that focus just on teaching the Bible and doctrine and ne- neglect some of those on-the-ground, real-life practices or, or deep, meaningful relationships? You know, the, the, the thinking would be, if you know right, then you'll do right. But the Bible itself says knowledge puffs up and Jesus told the Pharisees, like, you search the scriptures in vain, thinking that in them you have life, but it's they that point to me. Like, there's a way to be about scripture and miss Jesus. Some of the most unpleasant people I've ever met have, like, most of the New Testament memorized. Like, what good is it? I mean, we should all memorize the New Testament, but what good is it if we're, we're, we're grumpy and judgy and, and, and not pleasant, joyful people? All these components work together. We need them all. And having them on a map helps like we, we, we're gonna have one or two that we're naturally inclined to. Like we've got some readers in the house, theology people. We need those folks. But a lot of the readers in theology amongst us probably need the call to like really dive into relationships. We, we need each other to help each other grow into the parts that we're weak. We need to be aware, okay, that's a stretch for me. Like I'm not a reader. The teaching part, that's hard for me. I'd much rather just, you know, mow your lawn and do something for you than like sit and actually read a book. And you can, we can talk about how we stretch in parts that we are weak in so we can holistically grow into the image of Jesus. Now, I called Pastor Rick a couple weeks ago to touch base about Creta's funeral. He's done quite a few more funerals than I have, so I thought I'd pick his brain uh, going into Creta's funeral. And um, we talked generally about funeral stuff for a minute. And then kind of without, without segue, he said, and let me say this about Creta. He was very forceful. Creta wasn't just a believer. She was a disciple. She didn't just believe in Jesus. She followed him and loved him with her whole heart. You can't say that about everyone who goes to church. Do you know what I'm saying, Josh? And I, and I had to laugh because yes, that is like one of my passions in pastoral ministry is that all of us here would be people who follow Jesus. Don't just generically believe in Jesus abstractly, but follow him as our king. And friend, the fruit of Creta's life, if you knew her, the kind of person Creta was, joyful, fun, loving, kind, even when she's in a lot of pain at 95 years old, bears witness to what God can do with someone who follows Jesus, who submits to the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. Do you want that? Do you want to become a person of joy and peace, the rest for your soul that comes from yoking your life to Jesus? We have two invitations for you. The first one uh, is just to come back next week. Next week, we're gonna launch a sermon series through the Gospel of Mark. We're calling the sermon series, Follow the King. Because we're gonna take most of 2023 to just look at what Jesus said and did in the Gospel of Mark and consider how we can 
Yes, believe in him as our savior, but also follow him as our king. Because friend, Jesus can't be your savior if he's not also your king, your Lord. The second invitation is just a way to get started. Uh, you, you might already be doing this, but it's, encourage you if you are, is like when you wake up in the morning before you do anything else, before you look at your phone, check the news, check email, instead, take a moment to set yourself before the God who loves you. Find a comfortable spot, maybe pour a cup of coffee, take some deep breaths, and open up the Gospel of Mark and just read a couple of paragraphs. Maybe read it two or three times. I'd encourage you to read an actual paper Bible, not an app. Odds are you try to read the Bible on the phone, you get distracted before you get to the Bible app, and And there's just something really significant about your phone being off in another room and you are just alone with God and his word with no possible interruptions or distractions. It feels so much more intimate to be truly alone with God. And then just sit quietly beholding the Lord, beholding your king. That practice can frame our days with the person, teaching, and work of Jesus and create space for the Holy Spirit to form us into people of love and joy. Let me pray. Oh, Father, I praise you for this incredible good news that not only did you just save us from sin and death, uh, from the the wrath and punishment that we deserve, but instead, but you also uh, call us into life with you. You promise to free us from sin uh, in our lives. You promise to uh, make us more like Jesus, as we yoke ourselves to him and follow him. Father, would you just be at work in our hearts this morning? Convict us where we've neglected to follow Jesus, parts of our lives that we just haven't uh, put under your sovereign uh, control. Father, I pray for the spirit of grace. This would be good news, that there would be hope for people who are just weary from besetting sin, mired in things that year after year are, are struggles, and that there'd be a vision of ourselves 10, 20, 30 years down the road uh, of people who are made in the image of Jesus more and more, people full of love, joy, and peace, rooted and grounded in who who we are in, in Jesus's work on the cross. In his name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a -A K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.